Hi, Creative. It's Lauren here. I just want to remind you that if you love the podcast, the best way to support the show is by leaving it a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Actually, Spotify just started accepting ratings. So go ahead and rate it on there and tell all your friends to do it because it's super simple. It takes literally one second. I mean, maybe four seconds, but it's really quick. And uh, another great way to support the show is by sharing it with a friend or posting about it on social media. If you do post it on social media, tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. And remember to tag the guests too, so they can also share. Okay, now let's get to the show. Have you ever had a dream on your heart, but been afraid to claim it for yourself? Are you someone that is waiting for that one defining moment that could convince you that you can just do this thing you've always wanted to do, or even for someone to give you permission to follow your own heart? Today's guest once went through that. She had a dream to sing and write songs full time. On the show, she'll share her story of how she found the courage to stop dipping her toes into her dream and instead to dive in head first. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, and multi-passionate creative. This show is meant to give you tools to claim your right to creativity, take fear out of the driver's seat, and love, trust, and know yourself enough to pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. On the show, we'll explore the creative process and journey, mental health, self-development, spirituality, and everything it means to be a human and become more human. Today's guest is Lizzie Weber. Lizzie is a singer-songwriter who first put the idea in my mind that I also might be able to become a singer-songwriter someday. More on that later. But for now, you should know that she's an incredible indie folk artist known for her features in publications such as the Huffington Post, Glide Magazine, Seattle Weekly, as well as her collaborations with Grammy Award-winning producer Sheldon Gomberg, an Oscar winner and singer-songwriter known for once, Marketa Erglova. She's also just a stellar person. Lizzie and I first met in a yoga studio in 2011. As you'll hear me say in our chat, her voice opened something up in my soul. And when I hear it today, it continues to do that. And it does that for everybody who gets the privilege of listening to one of her songs. In her latest single, Fidelgo, her song about unleashing her inner creative, she sings the following lyric. I've spent all my life pushing back on concrete walls. And I do think it's time I start believing I can come out of my corner. I'm so tired of being afraid. Lizzie did find a way to stop being afraid and unleash. She's living her dream. Today, she'll teach us how we can do the same, how to take fear out of the driver's seat and take the risky path that leads to our truest selves. Through today's chat, you will learn how to take a chance on yourself, why your subconscious is a fruitful ground for creativity and how to use it, how to focus on long-term creative work rather than social media content alone, tips for cultivating patience, the merit of being a big fish in a small pond, how to recover from trauma and turn pain into purpose, and much more. Now here she is, the incredible Lizzie Weber. Lizzie, welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative. I am so honored to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Oh my gosh. So I want to take you back in time. We're going to do a little Unleash time machine. Let's go. It was November 2011, and we were in a yoga studio on Ventura Boulevard in Studio City, 
I had moved here two months prior. I think you'd been here for a while doing school and I'd done a hot vinyasa yoga class, was sweating profusely, about to go into Shavasana, and this girl walks through the door and plays this song live. And it's interesting because there's touchstone moments in your life that you don't realize are touchstone moments until far, far in the future. But while I was listening to you play that music, something in my soul opened up and said, huh, there's a possibility here. And what I think it was, reflecting back on it, is you were a young woman, I think we're the same age, from the Midwest, who was doing something that I didn't know you could do. Like, I never knew anyone who wrote music, so I didn't know you could just, like, take a guitar and sing a song that you wrote. And I look back on that as one of the puzzle pieces as to how I figured out I was a songwriter. So you were a big part in me figuring out how to unleash my inner songwriter creative. So thank you. Wow. I'm humbled and honored to hear you say that and also having those memories right now of being in the yoga studio, working the front desk and playing for people in Shavasana and not knowing if I was touching anybody or having an impact and just starting to figure out how to write songs. You know, hearing this is part of why I do what I do. You want to inspire other people to follow their creative heart, you know, and if you touch one person, if you inspire one person to believe that they themselves can go and do that, that they can find that courage within themselves to get up in front of a room of people they don't know and share their heart. You know, that's how we define community. And so it means so much to hear you say that. And I'm so glad that our paths crossed in that tiny little yoga studio in Studio City. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing that. It's amazing. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing your music because... Yeah, that was a profound moment looking back on it. Also, weirdly enough, a few months later, I ended up working at a different yoga studio as a front desk girl. We all did it. I mean, we listen, all did it. you got free yoga and you got a paycheck while you could pursue your creative endeavors. Like that's how you and I met in the similar age group, all out there following their heart, following their dreams, you know, pursuing opportunities in the arts. And that's part of what I loved about working there was meeting people like you. Yeah. I called myself the Zen ambassador. <laughs> I literally wrote that on my res- like resume at the time too. <laughs> and here you still are that. Oh, <laughs> it's amazing. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's transformed. It's transformed. Yes. So I bought your CD. I was obsessed. But at that time, and I know you ended up studying journalism, but you were studying nursing at that time correct? Yes. It's really interesting to think about that whole trajectory during that phase of life. You know, I'm 33 now. This yeah. is, I was 20, 21 years old when I was living in LA. And, you know, I think I was just walking that fine line of having fear that I wouldn't be able to support myself as an artist, right? Sort of maybe succumbing to those pressures to fall into a traditional line of work, you know, to have that plan B as many artists, I feel like, particularly in America, have that pressure to follow that traditional career path or have that fallback plan. You know, I was young and trying to go after what I love, but also wondering if I could really make it happen. And so I was taking gen ed courses at Santa Monica Community College studying nursing, but I also was like, you know, flying in a film class here and there while I was over there and just sort of 
not really sure how I was going to make it all work, but trying to just make good decisions in the world of education and maybe not having the courage at the time to say, just go study music, you know, go keep doing this. You know, I, I was definitely falling, like I said, under that realm of pressure to choose a traditional line of work for that fallback, looking back on it. Yeah. I mean, so many of us do that, whether it's in school or after school, it's hard to have the courage to continue to go forth with your art because it can be brutal, especially, you know, I've heard you talk about the difference between pursuing it out here versus in St. Louis. And I know you spent a time in Washington. In LA, it can just feel so demoralizing at times. Because everyone's doing it. You feel so replaceable. Getting people to live shows is like pulling teeth rather than something exciting for them. Yeah. Like what what was your feeling on the music scene out here when you were pursuing? I know you were quite young at that time, but how did it differ from the other places you've lived? You know, I think that it was interesting. The pressure, musically speaking, felt non-existent because of the fact that I had initially moved to L.A. to pursue acting. You know, so it's interesting that Same. you Same. We topic. have a weirdly similar journey. Soul Sisters. Yes. Hello. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> but it's interesting that you pinpointed that word demoralizing because, you know, I had basically had zero luck finding an agent as an actor and was really starting to feel down and out about that. And that's when I just started turning to picking up my guitar and songwriting. I was tired of waiting to have somebody else tell me whether or not I was the right type or, you know, it was 115 pounds, five foot eight. And I had people telling me to lose weight if I wanted to pursue modeling. And, you know, it's all about your looks and your appearance and typecasting. And I realized that I didn't know if my sensitive soul was, was going to be okay in that line. You know, I felt more connected to myself when I was songwriting as much as I loved acting and I loved that experience you know I just sort of walked through the door of music because I felt like it was what was calling to me at the time and that door wasn't opening in the acting world I wasn't getting work and I was just down and out without having representation and feeling like musically I could really explore my creativity more and so I just started going to open mics you know Mm -hmm. to speak of the LA music scene, you know, I was really just beginning to dip my toes and just experiment with playing in front of people. And I remember I like somehow got myself onto a BMI showcase or something at some point, but I was definitely not ready for that. You know, I was just throwing myself into every opportunity. I think I played a gig a couple times at a little restaurant in Hollywood called Cafe Muse you know, and uh, (laughs) my friends would come and it was just really me figuring out this whole songwriter thing and falling into my sound. But I I don't think that I, you know, got to explore the whole venue scene quite as much until later on. It was really at that time, just open mics and Genghis Cohen or Genghis Khan. Oh my gosh, Genghis Cohen. We all grew (laughs) up there. It was an indie songwriter's dream when we were in our 20s. I mean, they do give a good recording. If you are somebody who's pursuing music in Los Angeles, it's worth playing there at least once because you can get a really nice live recording there. Yes. Quite costly. I remember a lot of the door costs went into it, but it was worth it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's just like I was tearing up when you were talking because I always say Mm. acting broke my heart and music healed it. 
I couldn't keep doing acting the way I was because it was like an abusive relationship. Yes. And I still love acting so much. I love it so much. I got to be in a feature film a couple years ago. My friend wrote a part for me. It was great. Amazing. But the whole part of auditioning and like begging for somebody to see you just to be seen, it really, yeah, like in comparison to that, music is so, I mean, music in and of itself is empowering. I'm talking more about like the process of getting it heard can be very difficult or has been difficult for me. And I'm, I'm really, I'm happy that. I know it wasn't by choice, but by force, basically, that you were brought back to the Midwest. But I am happy you were able to cut your teeth there because it's nice to be able to create in a place where people love you for who you are, not what you can do for them. Yes, you hit the nail on the head. And just again, what you're saying, too, about feeling, I don't know, just like you're able to slide into some sense of authenticity with music and songwriting because it's different in that, again, you're not waiting for somebody to give you that yes. You can give yourself that yes. Yes. And say, yes, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to create something. I'm going to create a part for myself and I'm going to share that with somebody else. And I'm hopefully going to connect with somebody else, that one other person like yourself laying in Shavasana in a yoga studio or in a coffee shop or wherever that is. And I'm going to make that human connection right there. And I'm not going to have to wait for somebody to give me that opportunity to make that happen. Right. Oh yeah. Totally agree. How do you feel acting comes through in your music? And that is the fortunate part about, you know, also making music is that you can make accompanying visuals to go with it. And so I was able to sort of keep that passion alive in making music videos and tapping into the performer in myself. And the only thing that's different with that is that, you know, my songwriting in particular is absolutely personal. It comes straight from the depths of my subconscious. And so it feels a little vulnerable in that way to have it be more expository sometimes, but at the same time, it's so freeing. And that's how I feel like I can help that music connect with the audience is pairing that visual and that performance with the story. And then they can see themselves in that story, you know, so it becomes even like, it's not even acting, you know, it's just more of a <laughs> a visualization it's as simple as that sounds. Maybe that's oversimplification, but just that actualization of the song, you know, on a visual format. It's sort of acting, but it sort of isn't, if that answers your question. It does answer my question. When you say that the songs and songwriting comes from your subconscious, do you have a time in particular where you wrote a song and you're like, huh, I didn't know I was feeling that way? Yes. And it's so I can't believe you just said that because it's truly the perfect way to describe it. When I'm writing it tends to be a very revelatory process of what's really going on. And I find that to be, you know, I've never been a songwriter who's been able to sort of like keep it surface, you know, to good metaphorical cheese, you know, or whatever it is, you know, it's cathartic, it's therapeutic. And it teaches me oftentimes about what's really going on what I'm feeling, it helps me. It's like, whoa, you know, and then when you finish it, it's like closure. Thank you. And sometimes, you know, five years ago, for example, six years ago, I wrote this song Fidalgo that I just put out 
And it still teaches me something, you know, about where I was at the time. And so, yes, that to me is probably another reason why I felt so attached to my path as a musician and a songwriter is because it felt like an extension of my identity. And it also felt as though it was my path to learning what I needed to do to heal from something, to reflect on something, to explore something further. And maybe that sounds, you know, a bit wild, but for me, it's sort of just been that backbone of my music throughout my journey. Yeah, that doesn't sound wild to me. That sounds dead on. I mean, I think sometimes I like that you sit on songs for a long time. Actually, it makes me feel much better. I heard you say that in another interview because yeah, a lot of times people are like, oh, you wrote this so long ago. How is it even applicable? Sometimes I feel like my younger self writes music for my older self. And it's like yes. she knew what I would need in five years. And so she preemptively subconsciously through like spirit wrote the song and then gifted it to future me. I have chills. Yes, that is it. I understand we we live in a world now where we just constantly feel the need to pump out content, you know, quickly. And particularly for musicians, the pressure to deliver more regularly is certainly the focus. Output is a big focus now. But I think that there's so much power in sitting on songs and understanding that if you service the song correctly, it will become timeless. Right? Ooh, put so, it on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so that if you just remain patient, you know, that, that oftentimes you'll also discover new things about the song. You know, you might change the soundscape a little bit. You might rephrase a lyric. You might sing it differently. You know, you might change the melody and the voicing of that melody might change the entire song. And so for this record that I'm putting out next year, Fidalgo, is the title track of it, it felt like I held on to these eight songs for a long time because I knew I wanted to be patient with it and see where they evolved and how they evolved. How do you cultivate patience? I work at it every day. <laughs> I work so hard to be patient. My younger self, I would say, was incredibly impatient. I'm just being brutally honest. It's something I have to work at. And I think that maybe that's because of the fact that I have an ambitious spirit mm. and I'm an idealist and I'm a big dreamer. So as a result, you know, it, being patient with myself, with where I am with, at, with my craft, what I can feasibly do as a one woman show running the ship, so to speak, you know, it, it takes practice. And uh, I definitely meditate, Yeah, <laughs> work at that. And also just remind myself a watched pot never boils, right? You just have to sort of... Wait, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, think about it, right? You put a pot, you're making some pasta, you put a pot of water on the stove and you stand there and you're just staring at that pot of water, waiting for it to boil and almost willing it to boil faster than it will. But you have to be patient. The pot has to heat up. The water has to heat up. And then eventually it will boil. Yeah. But you can't force it into a boil instantly. You have to be patient. Wow. And it's so true because I've never thought of it in regard to my life. I've never thought of a boiling pot, but my life is a boiling <laughs> pot. But when the pot is on and you go in the other room and you come back and half the water's now gone, it took two seconds to boil because your attention wasn't on it. 
and then you have to refill it and start over again. I guess that's also not the move. Set a timer. Check on it. Set a timer. <laughs> but no, it's, basic- such a, it's a good metaphor. If you take your eyes off of it and can like focus on something else and breathe through it, you're yes. going to be able to get macaroni and cheese more quickly. Yes. I think, was it Julia Child who might have originally said that? A watched pot never boils. It's possible. God I'm bless not sure, her. But yes. She's with us today in spirit. Yes. So one other thing you said, and I do want to get to your path because you have such an interesting, incredible, rich path, but I also want to follow, you know, kind of the road we're on right now. Something you mentioned was churning out content. What Mm -hmm. I really respect and love and am so curious about in your music career is you do not seem to be a slave to social media or you do not seem to be somebody who is like so tied into needing to post and output every single moment of every single day. But yet you're still having so much success both on Apple Music, on Spotify, you're touring, you know, you're resonating with people. But the way the music industry is framed right now and all kind of all industries, they would lead you to believe that you could not possibly have any resonance unless you were churning out like a chicken with its head cut off. Tell me, how are you doing this and what is your methodology around it? That's a great question. Even though I do post frequently on my social media pages, I also find that it's important to be present in real life. Mm -hmm. And I think it's okay to have a sense of privacy in your life as well. I feel like I walk that fine line because of the fact that my music is so personal too. It's like, I already feel like I reveal so much of my story. I try to be open with fans and followers and friends who follow along, but I also try and find that balance because of the fact that I know that while social media has its positive elements, that it can also be really unhealthy. And, you know, for me personally, if I were to probably be on social media, be posting on social media more, you know, it just wouldn't be a healthy thing for me. So I try and share moments that are real, that are happening in my career and and sometimes personally, certainly. But I just try and maintain that authenticity to myself, right? If I need a break, I need a break. And right now, certainly as I'm promoting the new single, I'm spending more time on it and it, it can be draining, you know, and you're exactly right. With the rise of TikTok has come a whole new level of pressure, I think, for independent artists to be promoting because of the fact that it's a self-proclaimed you know, music promotion platform. But I also feel like chasing the algorithm and redefining your art based on who you are as a content creator as opposed to an artist is not healthy and also just not fair. It's not fair to yourself. It's not fair to your soul. Yes. Like, are you going to create a song with snaps just so people can point to shit? That's right. That's what's starting to happen. Yes. it's They're saying that the attention span of people is being reduced to a goldfish because of platforms like TikTok, because, you know, it's that seven second to 30 second. We're just feeding this. I'm sorry. I got to use this word. I'm a bit of a monster here. That, you know, I I sometimes have that association with it when I'm like, most of the time when I go and I do post on TikTok, I post my content and then I leave the app for that reason, because I'm just not, I have mixed feelings about engaging with it at all because I watch independent artists putting pressure on themselves to go viral because that's what labels are signing right now. They're signing artists who have had one viral moment 
on TikTok, something that's a flash in a pan and betting their money that they're going to be able to create a sustainable career out of that. And I know we're kind of making a left turn on my relationship with social media here, but I do feel like that's worth noting that that's a part of what's really unhealthy right now. I think in a danger to the mental health of a lot of independent artists, because that's just not a realistic goal to like go viral. A realistic goal is to connect with people near and far in any way that you can by being yourself. Mm. Authenticity still matters. And to me, when I saw that you were on a Spotify playlist and on Apple Music's top selects, I think it was for indie songwriters or what was the category? Is new and singer songwriter. New and singer songwriter. I can't tell you. It was like, oh, it felt like someone took a brick off of my chest because I've been telling myself all these stories like, it's impossible for you. You're a failure because you can't figure out social media. You know, you're not going to be able to do anything in this realm. And it made me feel hope for the first time in a really long time <laughs> to yes. see somebody who, yes, you're on them, but you're not making your whole life revolve around them. It's clear from looking at your stuff. So I think that's important because a lot of listeners probably are feeling the same way that we are, the pressure to get on there and go viral. and Absolutely. And I just want you listening to know that you can do it in another way. You can still have a successful career in your creative endeavor without going crazy viral on one of these platforms. Yes. And it starts with good old fashioned hard work. Yes. Midwest that, work ethic. That is right. And so, yes, anybody listening to this, you are capable of this. It just involves patience and hard work and it will happen. Yeah. So let's talk about your path. I know sure. you ended up having to go back to the Midwest because of your health. Can you explain a little bit about that, like how you made that decision or your hand, you know, was forced in that decision and what that period of your life looked like, then how you got into music again after that? Absolutely. So, yeah, I think it was maybe 2012 that I moved from L.A. back to my native hometown of St. Louis when I was 18, I had a little bit of a freak accident. I had a severe in injury to my spinal cord and my pelvis. I had quite a bit of chronic pain in college in those years following. And by the time I moved out to LA, I was feeling pretty good. But then a couple years later, I started having chronic headaches. And it was basically at the point where I was having trouble functioning. I knew that something was wrong, but I didn't put it together at the time that it was related to that because it had been two, three years. And at that moment, you know, I was like, that's so long ago. How could that possibly be affecting me now? And I was having headaches. It had nothing from my mind. It had nothing to do with my low back and my pelvis. And so I needed the support of my family and I needed to move home and be able to live with my folks and afford the healthcare that I needed to afford at the time, which was doable back home and work through that. And so and that's ultimately what brought me back to St. Louis. And then, you know, I started to improve. And at the time I was dating somebody who had just opened up a recording studio and was willing to sort of help me, you know, start putting together an album. And so while I was living in St. Louis, sort of recovering, and I also ended up finishing school at WashU, Washington University in St. Louis, getting my degree in communications and journalism while making this record on the side. And so that's sort of how I was able to keep the music path moving forward. And I felt like making that record here in St. Louis 
was a crucial part of that path because I was able to have a soft spot to land in what was otherwise a really challenging time for me physically as I was trying to recover. And I was able to just, you know, overcome that adversity. And I was not willing at that point. I felt so committed. I was like, I know that I'm going through a hard time, but I'm going to do everything I can to put these songs to tape and, mm. and see where they go. So someone who's listening right now and they're in the thick of something similar, some similar adversity, maybe it's pain, maybe they just lost somebody they love, they're going through grief, whatever it is, they're suffering right now and they're wondering if they're ever going to get their passion back or the things they love as they battle this. What sort of advice would you give them? First of all, I have total empathy and compassion and you are not alone. That is the biggest thing that I will say is that life is hard. Life is hard. And that's why it is so important to surround yourself with a good support system, with people who love you and want the best for you. That was crucial for me was I had a support system. I had family. I had friends who stood by my side who gave me that shoulder to cry on. I started seeing a therapist. That is so important. Get yourself into a space where you can talk to somebody. It is so important when you're going through that hard time to be able to have that safe space to verbalize what you're going through and to know that it is temporary, that time is your best friend. You know, I think that in our minds when we're suffering and when we're in pain, we put these timelines in our heads about when it should be over, when we should stop grieving, when we should move on from, you know, what's ailing us. And I think that's unfair. That's unfair to yourself. You have to give yourself that time and know that especially if it's a physical issue, if it's about being in physical pain, that the body doesn't know time. For me and what happened, you know, something years prior was still in me and I was still working through that. The biggest thing that I found for my chronic pain was myofascial release, which is a conservative therapy that is probably one of the most profound mind-body therapies that I cannot recommend enough to anybody who has any type of physical ailments. It saved my life. Wow. So I would, yes. So that's when they like release your jaw and your face, right? So myofascial release is a technique where they manipulate your fascia. So your fascia is like, like your bone is mineralized fascia. It's that sleek collagenous material that covers every inch of your body. It's not just related to your jaw. It's your whole, your whole body. If you want, if anybody listening wants to read about it, you can read about it. John F. Barnes, myofascial release. He wrote an incredible book called healing ancient wounds that, is absolutely a must read if you've ever suffered from chronic pain in any form. They say, you know, your emotions live in your fascia and that, you know, when you have an injury, a physical injury to your body, that that fascia can become like glue and literally suffocate your nerves, your it's down to the cellular level, your organs. And so it just becomes like, imagine being this fluid, you know, water-like being and then turning to stone from a really bad accident or something like that. That's essentially what your body does to protect itself and goes into that fight or flight, right? So myofascial release, the whole premise behind that is to reprogram the mind. The threat has passed and you're safe and let's heal. You know, let's send that messaging in the most important part, which is our mind to our bodies that we are okay. 
Holy cow. Okay. Well, I'm going to have a myofascial release expert on the show because I feel like we could probably spend the rest of the time just talking about that. I know. That's wild. And I'm so curious, like, how that changed the trajectory of your life. Yes. Because I also read recently that the fascia hold trauma. Yes, your emotions. Yeah. So that's super interesting. Okay. So (laughs) to move on from that, which is hard. (laughs) I know. You then put out this music and you start kind of ticking off pretty quickly from what I've read and understand. Tell me about this because it really sounds like you were in a flow state. It was really surprising because I put out the record and really I felt like the record was me just sort of figuring out what I was doing. You know, when when we were doing all the recording, I was like, I think this sounds good. You know, (laughs) like, we'll just try this and this. I was so young and as a songwriter, as far as just figuring out the elements of the craft. And I put it out and I was still living in St. Louis at the time. This is my very first record. I think this was 2014. And I was overwhelmed with the support I was receiving from my community, which was substantial. You know, the local paper put me on the cover as like the Mm -hmm. artist to watch. And I had a lot of local press outlets and promoters at venues, you know, putting me on bills with nationally touring acts. And that just gave me the confidence to really like just go with it and continue to put myself out there. And then I made a music video with a team of people that I met at Santa Monica College when I was taking that film course. Glad I took that film course. Hey. And it was <laughs> it was a student production, but it started getting picked up at film festivals internationally. And then Huffington Post did a feature article about it. And so it was sort of this crazy thing that I had a lot of support out of the gate with this, particularly this lead single from that record called Falling Like Fools. And I think it was probably a a big part related to that video as well. But it just, it was a total shock to me. I really just was happy to, to get the chance to keep making music and people were really rallying around me. It was cool. And did you submit yourself for these things? Did these people just find you? Like, how did these opportunities start sprinkling about in your life? You know, that's a great question. I think it's important that we talk about this too. If you're an artist and you are independent and you are representing yourself, it's okay to just reach out to whoever you want. I think I emailed Ariana Huffington. I'm pretty sure that's how that happened who is the founder of Huffington Post. And she was kind enough to pass it along to her entertainment editor. So that's the kind of stuff that I just was like with the journalist background, you know, to put together a good email. Hey, I just put this out. I'm really proud of it. And I would be honored if you guys would be willing to do a a feature on it or something like that, you know, to just put yourself out there. doesn't matter who they are. Don't have that attitude of, oh, you know, they're big leagues and I'm this. No. Be proud of your art, put it in front of whomever you feel as though you'd like to put it in front of, and you just never know what'll happen. But that's how that happened. It's so true, too, because a lot of times you'll go through all these layers and get no's or nobody responding to you. But if you go directly to the person a lot of the time, you get a response. Even if it's no, you at least get a response. But a lot of times it's going to be a yes, talk to this person, and that person's going to listen because the big boss said to. Exactly. So I love that. And you had another story like that. I know you worked with the lady. I'm blanking on her name. Marquetta, your global. Yes. You worked with Marquetta and like you reached out to her directly and you had said like you reached out to her manager, you reached out to her publicist, nothing worked. And then you sent her an Instagram message and that ended up coming through. I think I messaged her on Facebook 
but it, like it was right before Instagram became a thing and I sent her a link to my music video, you know, and she was about to go on tour and she was a huge inspiration for me. The swell season and once that whole film, they were my heroes and I was floored when she responded and was like, it's great to hear from you. And I, I have an opening act for my tour already, but I would love if you would sit, pick a show on the tour and come and sit in with me and my band and perform one of your songs. And I just, I remember laying there. I think I got that message at like six o'clock in the morning and I was just like stunned. I was like <laughs> unable to move because I was just so beyond just amazed that she took the time out of her day to, to respond. And then we kind of became pen pals after that. And now today she's a dear friend, you know, and after that, years later, we went on to collaborate on a double single of mine called River and Free Floating, which she produced. So that's what that led to. It's you know, amazing. just putting yourself out there and saying, hey, you know, I love what you do. And that's the, the other thing that I appreciate, too, at least about social media now, is that we as artists can reach one another. We can attempt to, you know, and you just never know. So true. And it's just like, if you don't ask, you know, right. you, you know you'll be that's in the right. If you don't ask, you'll be in the same place. If you do, you might be further ahead or at least friends with the person. You never know what that's could right. happen. You so, miss 100 of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. Hell yes. <laughs> so I know then you moved to Washington and that's where I think from what I understand of your story, you finally decided like, okay, I'm going to be an artist. Walk <laughs> me through this. <laughs> yes. So I started dating my now husband at the time who was a pilot in the Navy for many years. He just separated from the Navy in 2020. But in 2015, 2014, we started dating and he was stationed out of NAS Whidbey Island, which is about an hour north of Seattle and living in a small town, 45 minutes north of the base called Anacortes, which is on the island of Fidalgo. And so I was happy to get the chance to move out there to be with him, number one, because I had fallen in love. And number two, because the Pacific Northwest is such a massive region and Seattle is known for their music industry. They've got a great industry there and a really compelling, eclectic scene. And so I was really excited about the opportunity to be out there. But when I got there, I quickly learned that that two-hour commute was a little tough. So living out there, as beautiful as it was, we lived a block away from the ocean. It was isolating at times. It's a small, that's small town life. And anybody out there who is from a military family or knows what that lifestyle is like, it can be really cool at times, travel and great health insurance, but also very isolating and a lot of sacrifice involved. And so that's sort of where uh, the journey of this record began, really, was on that small island, which I like to affectionately refer to as my Bon Iver cabin in the woods time. <laughs> oh, man. When I hear cabin in the woods, I have a different reference point. I think of Evil Dead the musical. There's a really fun song called Cabin in the Woods that I sang when I was a senior wow. in college. Incredible. Also worthy connection. So, so worthy. But this song <laughs> that you've just put out, Fidelgo, speaking of this time where you really, you were alone, you were isolated, you were probably a little, you were scared. According to the song, you were scared, which I know you don't yes. lie in your song. So that's true. I don't lie. But you said from that fear, you decided like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to yes. do this. I fully commit my life 
to this thing? Like, what did that look like inside of you? Like, how was that different than what you had been doing prior? And what was that shift like on a spiritual level? Absolutely. I had just left St. Louis and I was work at the time I was working, you know, I was still pursuing some journalistic opportunities, working at a radio station, interviewing musicians myself and going to shows and reviewing concerts. And I was sort of keeping my foot in that door. Do I want to really, you know, do some freelance work as a journalist as well? Or do I want to just fully throw myself into this, into my craft and really say, no, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm going to gig my tush off and I am going to meet as many people as I can. I'm going to say yes to everything, pay or no pay and see what I can make happen. And I manifested that. And I was fortunate to have a partner at the time who said, I know that you are here for me and I will support you in any way I can. And I believe in you, you know, and that was absolutely instrumental in me taking this leap of faith. And out came those first lyrics in the song. I've never been a woman of tradition. I never saw myself living in the wilderness. So let it teach me something good, like the art of letting go. Mm. And, you know, that I've never been a woman of tradition was in direct reference to me feeling, you know, that was saying goodbye to those previous pressures to follow that traditional line of work, right? To go be that nurse with that and be an artist on the side, you know, go be a journalist and be an artist as a hobby, as I had sort of been, you know, subliminally encouraged by society growing up, you know, we don't exactly nourish artists, like I said, in the way that we should when they arrive. And so that was definitely that moment of, I'm going to make my own way for once, you know, damn it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you were still pretty young to make that declaration. Like, I mean, okay, so saying we don't nourish artists is a very nice way of saying we actually actively punish artists. We don't just not, we punish them. We punish them for not having the same life milestones that people who follow a more traditional path have. We punish them for going outside of the grid. We make them find health insurance on their own. I mean, there's so many things that we actively punish people who choose a different path for that. I mean, honestly, in myself, I'm still feeling the backlashes of like, I'm admiring your story of your journey as a younger person making that choice because I still feel like I'm straddling 15 different worlds. So for people like me and people who are listening, who want to fully unleash, but maybe haven't taken the leap, like what was that deep voice inside you that made you decide? Like, how did you decide to listen to her? That's a great question. And I think you're right as the punish versus nourish. I think that I probably was being a little too soft. Um, (laughs) It's a nice way to say it. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. I think it felt like I just had no other choice. Maybe that sounds ridiculous. I don't know. It felt like this is my path. This is my calling. This is what I will do because I had you know, at that time I hadn't performed for large audiences at all. I had had, you know, a few great opening slots for some nationally touring acts, but I was pretty early in my career. And, you know, those moments where at open mics or shows where I had people coming up to me saying, thank you for that song, you know, thank you for that. I saw myself here in that. And I can't tell you how much that made me feel less alone or whatever that was. That element of being an artist and being a musician, I felt like I could never say goodbye to because of the fact that I am an empath. 
I think that all artists are empaths. Maybe that's a broad statement, but I think it's probably true. And that I didn't want to ever say goodbye to that because it allowed me to connect with strangers. It allowed me to connect with people on a deep level and to just move, like, let's just move the bullshit out of the way. Let's just, let's get down to it. Oh, good. I'm doing the work. Are you doing the work? Sweet. Let's talk about it. You know, like, (laughs) I don't know that, that just made me feel like so alive. I felt so whole when I was up there on stage sharing my story and hopefully reaching that one person. That's it. Yeah. You know? And it's like, once you've known that you can't unknow it, and yes. every day you spend away from it, you yes. know you're not yourself. You know mm-hmm. you're not living out what you are actually called to do. And it feels like you just talk about turning to stone. You metaphorically yes. turn to stone. If you're not already injured, the soul starts crumbling in on itself. That's right. So let's get to some of these lyrics because they destroyed me. Um <laughs> And I'm no good with change, but you've got to play the cards you're given. Nothing ever stays the same. And I've spent my life pushing back on concrete walls. And I do think it's time I start believing I can come out of my corner. I'm so tired of being afraid. I'm tired of being afraid too. Take me through this set of lyrics. Like this is the story of you. I'm not going to fit into convention anymore. I'm going out into the world and being my full artist self. Yes. And I think, you know, the I'm no good with change, you know, I was, but you've got to play the cards you're given. Nothing ever stays the same. I was struggling with that move initially, you know, even though I was happier than ever to be there with uh, the love of my life, I was lonely Mm -hmm. and I was detached from the community that had built me up. And I was far away from family, from that support system that got me through that difficult time, which I had leaned on through thick and thin. And I was adjusting, you know, when we move, moving is hard. It doesn't matter if it's for better or worse. It's just hard to transition. It's hard. And my younger self was just having a hard time with that change. But, you know, the latter half of that verse was me trying to tap into my fearlessness, you know, and to say, like, we can't change this. So what can we accept this? You know, I, let's stop pushing back on concrete walls. Let's stop trying to change what we cannot change. And what can we do with the cards that we have been given? I don't want to be scared. I want to be this fearless person that I believe that I can be. And the only thing that I have to do is believe in myself, right? And not rely on validation from anybody else but to just give that to myself, you know, and be responsible for myself. And that's something that, you know, I I still have to work at, right? Just focus on being responsible for your reactivity, your reactions to life, to what life hands you, Mm -hmm. to just accept that, you know, sometimes we're going to be dealt great cards and sometimes we're going to be dealt cards that are tough. And what do we do in those moments that are tough? You know, can we stay true to ourselves Can we be, you know, the best version of ourselves and really lean into that? And that's what I hear really going on there in those words, you know, underneath that all, or maybe straightforward enough. Yeah. It's (laughs) underneath and straightforward on top and under. Exactly. Love it. Best of both worlds. And everybody, the single is out now. Fidelgo. So you can stream it wherever you get your music. I'll also do a plug for it at the end, but just wanted to say it. Please listen to it and cry as I did many times. (laughs) Um, But, you know, speaking of 
we have to deal with the cards we're given and sometimes they're really hard and life is difficult and a lot to hold, but we have to move through it. You courageously and generously shared with me and with the world that in December of last year, you had a miscarriage and you've been working through that and the grief of it. And you've been public about it because so many people, even in 2022, there's a stigma around talking about it. There's a stigma around talking about it. So tell me why this was important for you to talk about and now write about. I think that that's a great question. And thank you for being willing to ask this question and to speak with me about it as well. It's just sad to me that the subject remains so taboo. I just really feel as though when I went through it, I didn't know at the time how common it was, you know, and that loss for me felt earth shattering. I had been through some things, you know, as we've talked about here on this podcast leading up to this, you know, I feel like I had built up some armor to face the adversity that life was going to throw my way. But when that came my way, I didn't know if I could put one foot in front of the other. I really didn't. I needed that support system again, which I'm very grateful that I had family and friends who helped me, you know, get out of bed and work through that period of time. And for any women out there who have gone through this, you know, my heart is with you. And I know the pain of that grief. And we talked about grief earlier on too. And I'm still in the grieving process. Grief is not linear. You know, it's up and down. Some days are better than others, right? But I just feel like we need to talk about this subject more because of the fact that it is so common. And for whatever reason, the lack of conversation around it creates that feeling of isolation for women who go through it, I think. And also, you know, sort of feeds into that feeling of shame that I think a lot of women feel when they suffer a miscarriage. You know, what did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? searching for answers when really it's completely out of anybody's control. And there's a million different reasons why those miscarriages happen. Right. But that it takes, you know, doing that work and therapy. Oh my gosh. And um, myofascial release, working through that mind body work, all of that, you know, I had to show up for myself again. And I'm so glad that I did. And I had the people around me encouraging me to show up for myself because I really, in those months following I had finished the record and I just was like, forget it. You know, it was that dark for a minute to where I thought, how do you come back from something like this? This is just so hard because it's a death. It's a death in the family. And so I attribute that healing again to making sure that I had those resources that I need to get well and to believe in my ability to overcome once more. You know, talking about the subject would be also a mission of mine because of the fact, like I said, that I feel like too many women suffer this loss alone. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. And the song, I don't know if it's finished, but like the partial song that you shared with the Internet is so beautiful. It reminded me of this quote my friend Christina Helena, who's been a guest on the show, said, and that is the role of the artist is to alchemize pain. That song, I mean, I was in your journey with you. I felt like I was holding that pain with you. And how has it been for you to sing and write about it? You know, it was 
again, one of those moments where it felt like those words came out and it was an indication of where I was, right? And so for me, it felt good to verbalize the grief in that way. You know, I think I the lyrics in the second verse, which is the clip that I think I shared on my Instagram page, you know, I'm not to blame, though every part of me wanted to. You know, that is so real and universal, I think, also. And I think that when I wrote that, my one thought in sharing it was maybe, again, this will help somebody else, right? And I got so many messages when I shared that from women who had experienced this kind of loss. You know, thank you for sharing this. And yeah, it's that quote that you shared. It's really true that even though it might be difficult to hear those words for some, again, the goal is there's that other person who knows right? There's that other person who also knows what this is like. And I can see myself in them and they are carrying on and and maybe, you know, so will I, you know, that's making a difference with your art. At least that's what I hoped to do. (laughs) It is. It is. And what part, because a lot of the way you speak about creativity feels spiritual to me. And I believe creativity and spirituality are intrinsically connected How are they connected for you? I think that I could not agree more with you that writing in and of itself, because of the way that I do write, it feels (laughs) feels like a holy experience, you know, truly like a spiritual experience of deep connection to oneself and to others. And isn't that spirituality? Mm -hmm. Deep connection to yourself and understanding and hopefulness and faith. And that if you can put those things in yourself, that is spirituality, right? That belief in oneself to be committed to growth and self-reflection and understanding and compassion and kindness and empathy, you know, all the things that embody spirituality that I think are so directly woven into my music for me was those themes of reflection and overcoming adversity, you know, self-forgiveness. Because I think that, you know, creatives, I feel like tend to be hard on themselves. I don't know if that's- in here. You feel like, you know- (laughs) You think the world's bad, just wait till you Uh. enter your own brain. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, can we just be easy? You know, Adele was right. Go easy on me, babe. You know, like- But sing it to yourself. (sighs) So, Lizzie, I mean, it's torture because I want to talk to you for 15 more hours. And uh, there were so many paths this conversation could have gone. When you put out your full album, if you're open to it, I would love for you to come back and let's just go by track by track and dissect each one and like delve into the lyrics and just do a creative deep dive. It would be an honor. Okay, for me too. I would love it. Okay, let's do that. But In the meantime, I have one final question for you that's kind of like a meaty question. So I'm going to get a little bit more (laughs) if you're if you've got the time, that is. I'm ready. But I started the show because I really believe repressed creativity is one of the greatest causes of suffering. But in doing the show, I realized that what I really want to teach people to do is to be themselves because If you don't know yourself, love yourself, and trust yourself, it's pretty impossible to unleash your inner creative. And what I heard you say you did in the Delgo is you decided to love yourself for who you were instead of 
hating yourself and fitting yourself into a box for who you weren't. And so I'm curious, where are you at in your journey with loving, trusting, and knowing yourself? And do you have any words of wisdom that you would like to share with the audience who you can maybe think of even as like a younger Lizzie? That's a great and meaty question. I guess I'll answer the first part of it. Where I am right now is, especially after what I went through over the winter with the miscarriage, is I feel as though I am at a place where I understand how to protect my peace and to love myself means to respect the boundaries that I can set within my life. That means, you know, just balance, self-care, listening to what my body and my mind need, you know, loving yourself and trusting myself. It's having that faith that I will make the right decisions for myself in life. I think that goes outside of just being a musician and an artist, right? If you can just trust yourself, have faith in yourself that you're going to make the right decisions, creatively speaking, or personally speaking, then like those two things will complement each other tenfold. And then for the younger version of me, I feel like what we were just talking about is that just to be proud of where you are, Mm. just to be proud of where you are right now and to live moment to moment. Because I understand that ambition is great and healthy in its own right. And maybe, you know, foreseeing more, whatever that more might be for yourself, but really just being proud of where you are and what you have accomplished to get to where you are in that point, right? Even if you just like wrote your first song, like, hell yeah, I just made something, you know? I just made something, made it up, and there it is. Yeah, you created something from nothing. Yes, and that living moment to moment, that is like, I am working at that. I am practicing that. I'm doing my best at that, especially, you know, having a different understanding of, maybe the preciousness of life, you know, again, alluding back to what I'm, I recently went through is that the here and now very important. And I think that if you can focus on that, you can focus on that and just say goodbye to looking so deep into the future, then everything along the way is going to be that much breezier. To circle back to the boiling pot, (laughs) mic drop. Lizzie, you're an incredible human. You're an incredible artist. I cannot wait to see all the things you'll do. But also, I'm just so proud of you in the present moment and admire you so much. And I'm really grateful for this hour we got to spend. So thank you for all that you are and all that you do. And thank you for sharing your soul with us today. You're incredible. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I'm truly honored to be a guest on this magnificent show. You are making such a difference in people's lives with this show. And you also need to know how incredible you are and that you are touching people near and far with doing this very good work. So thank you for all that you do and being the incredible, powerful woman that you are. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, love you. Thank you. Love you. Thank you for listening and thanks to my guest, Lizzie Weber. For more info on Lizzie, follow her at Lizzie Weber Music on Instagram and at Lizzie Webbs on Twitter. Also, listen to her new single, Fidelgo, wherever you get your music and also stick around for a little preview of the song at the end of the episode. 
Also, check out her website, lizzieweber.com, where you can find news highlights, scheduled tour dates, and much more. Thanks to Rachel Fulton for helping edit this week's episode. You can follow her at Rach E. Fulton. Thanks, Liz Full, for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you liked what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag the guest, Lizzie, at Lizzie Weber Music so she can share too. My wish for you this week is that you, like Lizzie, get tired of being afraid and get the courage to unleash. You can make your own way and go toward your dreams. We'll do it together. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week. You've got to play the cards you're given Nothing ever stays the same And I have spent all my life Pushing 